If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them out this morning and turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Luke, chapter 10, 25 through 37. This is a very familiar passage this morning. I considered preaching this as we began uh, the fruit of the Spirit, as we began looking at the fruit of the Spirit. I finished up uh, with that sermon series. Technically, I finished up with it last week. But there's always a danger in preaching a sermon series like the fruit of the Spirit. The danger is, and this is really not just a danger for that sermon series, it's a danger for all Christians everywhere at all times. The danger is that we will mistake or mistake the fruit of the Spirit for the work of the Spirit itself. We will mistake the outworking of the gospel for the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think this is the problem, or this is a major problem in Christianity, that we will confuse the work of Jesus and the good things that he did for us and for our salvation with our own works And we will try to earn our salvation by having the fruit of the Spirit. To try to overcome that danger, I want to show you again the good news of Jesus Christ. And in a sense, this passage is about the love of God for us. The only way that we're going to show the fruit of love in our lives is if we have been transformed by the love of God for us. Now, this passage in particular... The, the Good Samaritan, or the parable of the Good Samaritan, is a passage that is preached and is widely misunderstood. So much so that our, at our General Assembly this week, I heard a sermon that seemed really good, but at the end of the day was really just burdensome for God's people. This passage is not meant to be a burden, but is instead meant to take a burden off of our shoulders. So I hope to see that today as we work through this passage together. Let me uh, read this passage for us. Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 25 through 37. And then we will pray and ask for God to help us understand his word. Hear God's good and kind and gracious word for you today. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But when a Samaritan, Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring oil, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when repay you when I come back. Now which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Now let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us in understanding his word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for giving us this word, and we thank you, Lord, that in it, even though it seems burdensome, you actually proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would help me to proclaim that good news, and that you would remove so much of the burden that we see in this world, the burden of of unrighteousness, but remind us that you have given us your righteousness in Jesus Christ so that we are completely free in him. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to see this, look at this passage in three ways. Uh, we see two parts of this story, two parts of this section of scripture. We see two types of people and two responses to mercy. Uh, So there are two parts of the story, first of all. Uh, The first part is verses 25 uh, through 28, and then the second part is 29 through 37. There are two questions that kind of frame these two parts. The context of these questions is a lawyer. Uh, Now, we kind of have a negative connotation and negative thoughts about lawyers uh, in our culture today. Although we like lawyers whenever we need them, when they're on our side. But uh, we kind of have negative thoughts about lawyers. In Christ's day, there there would not have been negative thoughts about a lawyer. Because lawyers were the experts in the scriptures. They were the experts in the Jewish laws. And so the wealthy Pharisees would hire these scribes and lawyers to kind of be their entourage to help them as they are making rulings and judging as they are uh, doing the things that the people of Israel need. Uh, And the lawyers would have been very important in understanding the Old Testament. But there's a problem with the lawyer, uh, this lawyer in particular, but most of the lawyers in Christ's day. Because the lawyers would have been teaching the people how they can approach God. They would have been explaining all of the Old Testament sacrificial systems. They would have explained all of the laws and all the various things that you have to do in order to get to God in the temple. All the while believing that the way that they get to God is through their own righteousness, through their goodness. So what you need to do is you need to sacrifice and do these things and then maybe God will accept you. But the lawyer would stand back and say, but but I don't need to do those things. I'm already good. I'm good enough to get to God on my own. And so the lawyer approaches Jesus with that in mind, and we see it in the questions that he asks. We see it believing that he thinks that he is good enough to get to God. And he, look, this is really funny what Jesus does. The man asked this question, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, Jesus, knowing he's a lawyer, says, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And some people say that he says, Have you read it? Like, they would have had whole chunks of the Old Testament, probably the first five books of the Bible memorized uh, 
And Jesus is saying, well, have you ever read it? Do you know what it says? And the lawyer would have gone, yeah, I know what it says. And then he rattles off his answers. But you see something in this first part about this question that he asks. It's a strange question. It's a weird question. And the phrasing of it is really important. Look in verse 25. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do to inherit? Well, just put that together in your mind. You see, he's asking Jesus, what do I need to do to get something that you don't have to do to get? An inheritance is not something that you earn by working for it. An inheritance is something that you get by your birth. You don't have to do anything. It's just given to you. And yet, this man says, what must I do to earn my inheritance? He already misses the point. He already is saying, I know that the way I have to get to God is I have to do certain things. The second part is right. You inherit salvation. You don't do anything to get it. God gives it to you freely. But this man says, no, I have to do something. So just tell me what I have to do. But all the while, he knows that, or at least thinks, that he's done enough. And essentially what this man does is he mixes up mercy and justice. He says, I want what's owed to me in what I do, but I also want mercy. That's kind of a weird way that he does that. And Jesus answers the first part of this question. He doesn't answer the second part. He takes the man at his word, exactly how he asked the question. He says, okay, I'm going to tell you what you have to do. What do the scriptures say? The scripture says, Deuteronomy 6, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. That's God's requirement. And in Leviticus 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The man answers correctly. Jesus says, absolutely. If you want to earn your salvation, that's what you need to do. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. Jesus says, 28, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Oh, okay. Do those things and you will have eternal life. Now, I could end the sermon right here and everything that I've said and everything that Jesus says is absolutely true. You can earn eternal life by loving God perfectly and loving your neighbor perfectly. Absolutely. That's the way to salvation. But you're going, wait a second. Wait, hold on. (laughs) I can't do that. Absolutely. And that's Jesus' point. That's Jesus' point. You can't do it. Now, the second question that he asks is in 29. And he says, and who is my neighbor? We get more information in the second question. See, this lawyer understands the law and understands what Jesus has just said. And all of a sudden, he does what lawyers do. He's looking for a loophole. He's looking for a way out. He's looking for the way that he can turn things around and say, okay, all right, who is my neighbor? He's assuming certain things already. He's assuming that he has loved God pretty well. He's like, I'm a, law- I'm a Jewish lawyer. I know the Old Testament better than anybody. I know what it says. I know how to love God. I'm good with that. He says, so who is my neighbor? 
And you can almost hear this snark in his voice. Who's my neighbor? Okay, tell me, who do I have to love? Just, Just how far do we have to go in this whole love business that you're talking about here? John Cleese, the, uh, the Monty Python actor, uh, he has a lot of theological sayings, and you don't know it because he's an atheist, but he, he thinks a lot and thinks pretty deeply about things of Christianity, I think, because God is hounding him. And John Cleese has said, love your neighbor. You might as well ask me to fly, and he's absolutely right, because it is impossible to love your neighbor. It is impossible, indeed, not only to love your neighbor, but it is impossible for you and I to love our family members, to love them perfectly. And that's the point. That is absolutely the point. This lawyer would have said that my neighbors are the ones that I like. My neighbors are the ones that I have the most affinity with, the ones that are closest to me. My neighbors are the ones that really like me. And Jesus is going to turn that on his head. So that's what we see here, first of all, the two parts of the story, the two questions that are asked. Then in this story, from the rest of it, from 29 to 37, Jesus shows us two types of people. Now, I recognize there's a lot more than two people in this story, but Jesus is making a distinction between two types of people as he tells this story. Now, the first person in this story is a person like the lawyer. What is he trying to do? He's trying to justify himself. And I remember, the lawyers were the good guys. We think, ah, ah, bad guy, bad guy. No, the lawyers were the good guys. They were moral and upright. They were the fine members of society. They were wealthy and they were generous and they, they liked to show everyone how good they were. They were morally upright. But they were proud of their uprightness. They were proud of their position. And they wanted to approach God on their ability to do what was right. And you see that already in how he says, I want an inheritance, or I want to do something to, to get to God, not an inheritance. But secondly, when he says, in verse 29, Luke tells us, desiring to justify himself. The word justify means to be declared righteous. To be declared righteous. And what we're told in the good news of Jesus Christ is that you and I do nothing to earn that declaration of righteousness. God gives it to us by his grace. And here, the man is trying to be a self-justifier. He's trying to do something for God and say, Here, take my works and approve of me. And in the story that, that Jesus tells of the, of the man going down to Jericho who falls among robbers, who is beaten and bloodied and stripped naked and all of those things, there are two people in the story that are just like the lawyer, the Levite and the priest. Both of these individuals would have been high-ranking members of society. They likely were leaving Jerusalem after a feast, after a time of high celebration where they would have been the bigwigs telling everybody what to do. And they would have had the, the best seat to see all of the sacrifices and all of those things. That they would have been the first to receive the cleansing from God and maybe even the priest was there performing the sacrifice. 
And now as he's leaving Jerusalem to go down to Jericho, he sees a man who is beaten and bloodied and bruised, and he has just left this high spiritual experience where he has the approval of God, and he's going to stay clean for a long time, and he doesn't want to mess himself up with that man that's laying on the side of the road. And so the lawyer would immediately see himself in the Levite or the priest, two men who felt confident in who they were. So that's the first person in the story, the man who tries to justify himself before God. The second person, now, it may not be who you think in this story. Because we immediately go to the Good Samaritan and we say, oh, I know what this story is about. The story is about the Good Samaritan. The story is about being good and treating your neighbor well. Let me just tell you that's not what this story is about. This story is not about your righteousness or what you need to do. We've already said that. Because you cannot be the good Samaritan. It is impossible for you to take the place of the good Samaritan in this story. Why? Uh, Well, first of all, the lawyer would not have wanted to be the good Samaritan. The Samaritans were disgusting people, according to the Jews. They were half-breeds, Jews and others. They had given themselves over to the other invading countries back whenever Israel was had been uh, destroyed earlier in their history. The Samaritans didn't even worship God in the right place. And so the Jews hated the Samaritans, could not stand them. And this lawyer would have said, I'm not going to have anything to do with that Samaritan. But then if you look at the things that this Samaritan does, when he sees the man beaten and bloodied on the road, what does he do? Well, he stops on his journey. He stops what he's doing. He came to where the man was. He picked him up. He put him on his own transportation, in his own transportation. As he's doing that, he's tending to his wounds. He's getting all of that man's filth on himself. He's at very great expense to himself because wine and oil were very expensive things to take along with you. At very great, just think about it this way. When you stop at a convenience store when you're traveling, they jack the price of a Coke up a very good bit, right? This man is traveling with their version of Coke and, and hand sanitizer, okay? The price in the convenience store is really high. He's going to great expense to make sure this man is taken care of. He brings him to a hotel. Have you checked hotel prices recently, right? It's very expensive, and he says, keep him here until he gets better. And call in a doctor and make sure he's taken care of. If he needs to go to the hospital, I'm going to do all of that. Here is a whole lot of money to make sure he is taken care of. And then guess what? I'm going to come back this way and I'm going to check on him. When was the last time you treated someone you you didn't know actually an enemy of yours? Because the Samaritan would have been an enemy with this Jewish man who was beaten and bloodied. You do not do that. And I don't care how nice you've ever been to anyone in this world, you have never, ever served anyone that well. The point, the second person in the story is not the Good Samaritan. The second person in this story is the man who has been beaten and bloodied and left for dead. He is helpless and absolutely dependent upon the mercy of another for his life. There are two people in this story. The man who thinks he doesn't need any help. 
The man who thinks that he doesn't need anybody to do anything for him or the man who is absolutely dependent and is at death's door and can't do anything for himself. And what Jesus does is he shows the kind of love that, yes, we should display to others, but is impossible for us to do. What Jesus does is he sets the bar really high. And he says, if you want to love your neighbor, first of all, find the person you can't stand the most in this world, your enemy, the person that wants you dead, and give that person everything that's yours. Not just all the money in your wallet, but all the money in your bank account. Give it, give, give it all to them. Enrich your enemy. And make sure that everything your enemy does, the person that hates you the most, make sure that they thrive in spite of your ability to thrive or in spite of you doing everything that you need to do. Ensure the prosperity of your enemy. That's what loving your neighbor means. I could end the sermon here and say, go and do that. Go, do that, and you will have life. But you cannot do it. What Jesus shows us here is not that you and I are the good Samaritan or should be the good Samaritan. But that he is the good Samaritan. And the one that has life is the one that is absolutely dependent upon him for life. This is not a story about how you should be a good person. This is a story about how you need someone To pick you up in your death and give you life. Now there are two responses that we see here in this story. Two responses. Now as you've been hearing me talk about this, there are in this room self-justifiers. There are individuals like the lawyer and it might be you. Don't start thinking it might be the other guy because as soon as you do that, guess what? It's you. There are self-justifiers who begin to do that laundry list or that they tick off that list in their head of what they've done. How good have I been to my enemy? How good have I been? What have I done to help those that hurt, that, that hate me? Now, I might not be, and you start saying, I might not be as good as the Good Samaritan, but I'm pretty good. I'm at least better than that guy. And you might be. But you are not perfect. See, I think all of us are moral accountants. All of us kind of have that book open in our head at any given time, and we're trying to get credit for all this good work that we do. And we're really, all of us, hoping that we do enough good work to to outweigh the bad work. We're hoping that at the end of the day, we're in the black, morally speaking. But in this story, we see that it doesn't matter if we do more good than bad. That bad is enough to not allow us to be justified. Self-justifiers immediately. I'm not that bad, I'm not that bad, I'm not that bad. Even though Jesus says, now you are that bad. Now, how does the beaten man, the man left for dead, how does the man that needs help, how does he respond? Well, we're not really told how he responds because his response is irrelevant to what's happened. He's received salvation, hasn't he? He has been absolutely the passive recipient of all this good stuff. But what is he going to be like when he comes to, when he realizes how much this Samaritan has done for him? 
What do you think he's going to say? What do you think is going to happen when the man comes back and he gets to meet him? Is he going to be like, you know, I really didn't need your help. (laughs) I was just about to wake up from death, right? I didn't need you to help me. Of course not. Of course not. This man, when he met him, when he met the man that gave him life, would be appreciative. And he would say, what can, I, what can I do to repay you? And he couldn't repay him because you can't pay somebody for life. He would fall down thanking the man because he knew he couldn't pay him back. There are two responses to mercy. One response is, I don't need you. The other response is, thank you. Thank you. The difference in this is that one knows that he's helpless and the other doesn't realize it. Because indeed, there are two dead people in this story. The Levite and the priest, they think they're alive, but they're really dead. There are two beggars. There are two needy people. The difference is that one realizes it and the other doesn't. Think about it like this. Two beggars come into a restaurant right off the street. They both have a dollar. And one goes to the counter and demands service. Give me service. I have my dollar. And he begins to order 30 things off the menu. And then when it's time to pay, he says, you're going to take my dollar and it's going to be enough. What's going to happen to that man? Right? He's going to be kicked out. He won't receive what he wants. Another man walks in and he says, all I have is a dollar. I'm hungry. I don't deserve what you have. And I'll take whatever scraps are left over. Can I have mercy? What will he get? He'll get mercy. He'll get love. Which one are you in your approach to God? Demanding his acceptance because of who you are and who you think you are. Or falling down, needing his Mercy and forgiveness. Which one are you? Do you think you need it or not? I remember uh, I was working in a coffee shop on Perkins Road. CC's. My boss was uh, was William, um, and uh, we we were right there by a bus stop. And apparently there was this mom and her son, about five years old, and they were waiting for a bus. The bus never came. And it was hot outside, and so they, they kind of huddled under the umbrellas that we had for a while. And um, a lot of times it fell to me to go and tell people who were just hanging out to go and try to get them to leave. We didn't do that this day, but it was hot outside. They had been waiting for hours for a bus that never came. This was before cell phones, too. So they, they came inside. They kind of snuck inside. And they were, they were just trying to get out of the heat. We got inside and I heard the boy say, Mom, Mom, can I have a mocha sippy? Now, if you don't know what a mocha sippy is, uh, they are the sweetest coffee drink and the most expensive that you can buy. I don't recommend anybody has them for health reasons or for money reasons. They're pointless. But people would come in and drink these things, spend eight bucks on one of them. Ridiculous. Mom, can I have a mocha sippy? Can I have a mocha sippy? Shh, shh, shh. No, 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 no. 
He says, Mom, I have money. Where do you have money from? Mom, I have money. Can I get a mocha sippy? Yes. Go. He comes to the counter. My boss, William, is standing there. He says, the boy orders. I want one of those mocha sippies. Okay. I ring it up. It's 550. He said, okay. He pulls out 30 cents and he says, is this enough? Is this enough? Is it enough? I said, no, it's not enough. My boss, William, pulls out his wallet. He gives the 30 cents back to the boy and he says, it's enough. He pays for his mocha city. Now, what's interesting is the boy then, after he gets it, he takes a sip and he brings it to his mom. He says, Mom, I got this for you. (laughs) I got this for you. They didn't pay for it. My boss paid for it. But it was theirs. And then my boss paid for another one and gave it to the boy. He received mercy that day. He didn't deserve it, but he received mercy. Our hope is not in our ability to do what's right for God. Our hope is in his gracious love for us. When, when the Good Samaritan picked the man up off the ground, all of the blood and the dirt and the filth that was on him was transferred to the Good Samaritan. And as he cleansed that man of his wounds, all of the blood and all of the stuff got on him. That's what Jesus did for us. When he picks us up out of our death, all of our dirt and filth and blood and guts and all the dirty sin that we have is transferred to Christ. He willingly takes it on himself and he takes it to the cross so that he then can present us as holy and clean to God. My friends, that's the good news. Your hope is in Christ, not yourself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this word today. Father, we thank you that in our sin we cannot do enough. But by your mercy, you have done everything we need in Christ. I pray that we would be found in him this day, all of us. Maybe some of us for the first time, but our hope would be in him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to close.